Hey, everybody. This is Patrick, the Chief Monkey and founder of Wall Street Oasis. Just wanted to first off say thank you so much for listening to this podcast. Second, wanted to make sure for any of you in the market for financial modeling training, remind you that Wall Street Oasis does have some incredible financial modeling training courses, including Excel modeling, financial statement through, you know, linking up the three statements, DCF, valuation, M&A, LBO, um, even more niche courses like 13-week cash flow, venture capital course, real estate modeling, you name it. Go ahead and check them out at wallstreetoasis.com slash courses. Thanks for the support. Wouldn't it be cool if there was a Netflix for finance? Well, there is. It's called Real Vision, and it gives you unprecedented access to some of the most respected names in finance. Watch interviews with legends like Kyle Bass, Jeff Gunlock, Stanley Drunkenmiller, and many, many more. If you want to be part of the Real Vision revolution, visit realvision.com slash WSO. Hello and welcome. I'm Alex Grodnick, and this is Moving Up, a podcast about secrets to success, struggles along the way, and life in general. What's with the new name, you ask? Well, nothing. It's just a little improvement. The podcast is still brought to you by Wall Street Oasis, and nothing is changing. Just a way for people who aren't familiar with us to have an idea what this podcast is about. Moving up. Moving up in life. Moving up in your career. Moving up everywhere. Today on the pod, Joanne Wilson, podcaster, angel investor, and as she describes herself, gal about town. Joanne tells us what she looks for in making an investment and who is right more often, her or her venture capital husband, Fred Wilson. Quickly, want to increase your chance of landing a job by over 12x? Then check out the one-on-one interview prep at Wall Street Oasis. Match with a mentor from a top firm and then follow the process to get a job. It's that simple. Okay, Joanne, let's get into the podcast. Thanks for being here today. So you live in New York, but you're spending your winter in L.A., lucky you, and, exactly. uh, <laughs> but you are a angel investor, you're like an early, early blogger, you've got a podcast, so all sorts of, you've got your hands in a lot of things. I'd like to hear how you describe yourself. Oh, God, that's a good question. How do I describe myself? Um, you know, I'm pretty entrepreneurial. I mean, I guess that's the best way to describe me. Um, I've got my fingers in so many different things. I think I was very much a um, pioneer in um, in females in tech. Um, that was something I really cared about early on. Um, and um, in many ways, a pioneer in the angel investing. I mean, nobody was re- really even knew what an angel investor was, um, you know, 12 to 15 years ago. And so I think all of it is just because I've been in the technology industry for a long time and sort of got involved at points that I thought made sense. And then, you know, it was a little bit before everyone else dove in. Right. Well, you started your career in fashion and then it kind of morphed into tech. But I'd love to hear how you came to angel investing, like what your first one was, how that all got started. Yeah, I mean, I was involved in the technology industry in the 90s um, and um worked with Jason Calacanis on Silicon Alley Reporter. And uh, as we all know, you know, there was a mortgage crisis and the internet as it was exploding and overvalued sort of imploded and ceased to exist um, in terms of new things. And, you know, obviously some of them made it through the insanity and became large businesses like Amazon and, um, and others went home. And 
I was really watching the next generation of the web, which really started in around 2004 or five, I'd say. And I was really fascinated with the kind of um, sites that were being built. I felt that it was a much more interesting group of people that were building this next generation because they grew up with technology. The people in the first generation saw something of interest, but wasn't like it, they were, you know, grew up with a computer. Um, you know, some did, obviously, but not like it was in the next generation. And so they were building products that were extensions of who they were, not just products that they thought were going to fill voids in the marketplace. And I was watching Curb Media, which is a brand new media platform, and I was kind of obsessed with it because I felt like this is the next way that we're really going to take in media, um, be it food, uh, shopping, or real estate, which is what they were tracking. And what I found interesting about it is the people that were reading it were not just consumers, they were also business. And so if you were in those businesses, you were still reading this aggregation of information on a daily basis. And so I thought that was a very interesting way um, and also be able to track who's reading your content. Right. Yeah, so that is so. Like, you were a consumer of it. You thought, this is cool. Maybe I can get involved, write a check. Is that kind of how it worked? No, it really wasn't. Um, I, um, I was, you know, I knew Lockhart, and I was watching it, and I said to my husband, I was like, it's really too bad you won't invest in this because it's not your thesis, but this is this is the future of media. And he came home the next day. He said, you're right, I can invest, but you can invest in the raising money and you should do this because I think this could be your next career. You understand how to make money and um, I think you'd be a really great investor. And so that's how I started investing. <laughs> that's awesome. And you mentioned your husband. He is not a nobody in the investing world. So you guys are kind of like the Barry and Diane of New York investing. <laughs> I don't know about that, but yes, we are definitely in, both in the investment world. Um, and how'd you guys meet? We met in college. And so then he got into the, start, the startup bug bit him, and he started doing it, and then you kind of found your way into it, and, and is that just how it went? Um, you know, we've both had very... Um, intermingling careers over our years and um, he uh, went to grad school and decided venture capital made the most sense for him in regards to um, you know he went to MIT he was and and then went to Wharton and so how do you balance the two of this engineer brain with a business brain and venture capital really made sense to him and so he started in venture capital and I um, had been in a variety of different businesses and, you know, was really looking for the next thing where I could have be involved in my family and not have to work for anyone else. And I really didn't want to start a business, even though I was given some money from multiple people to do it. And so this sort of made sense. And so um, it was a fun thing to be able to do together because it was an interesting industry and it was the beginnings of an industry and we both saw what was happening and were fascinated with it. Right. So now fast forward to today you invested in 90 plus startups. You have this kind of female focused investment thesis. Your husband has a very different thesis. Are there like similarities, differences? Do you guys who's right more? 
Um, you know, I don't know who's right more. I think that it's just a very different kind of thing. I mean, I'm investing our capital, and I don't have any LPs, and he's got a partners, and they're very much a team, and they have LPs, and you have to return a fund, and returning a fund is a very different mindset, um, even in terms of when you pull out and when you stay in, um, than it is for an angel investor. Right. There's a different purpose beyond just making money. There's a, there's a, there's a purpose to it. Yeah. I mean, there's a financial thesis to it. And, um, you know, the things that I'm interested in, in regards to knowledge and um, investments aren't something that would necessarily be his strong suit. Got it. So what are you interested in? What does, what does it look like today? You know, it's really changed. Um, I feel that when I started investing over a decade ago, technology was really starting to touch every vertical and make major differences in how we live our lives. Um, and I think that for really the next five years after that, you know, everyone was coming up with new ideas and new concepts, and it was like startup nation. And then the second five years, they got a little more mature. Some of the businesses continued to do really well and grow. I mean, you know, Foursquare is nine years old today, and that gives you an idea of longevity and, you know, how long it takes for these businesses to really grow. And so, you know, now... I'm seeing a lot of replication in the market, at least the markets that I'm interested in. I mean, I'm fascinated with cryptocurrencies and Bitcoin. It's not an area that I'm going to invest in. Um, but I, I'm seeing a lot of, and I like consumer-facing businesses, um, but I'm not seeing as many things that I'm so wowed with um, that I have in the past. And I'm don't have to do anything. I don't have any LPs. Although if I did, I'm not so sure I would not take my time in this next generation and really think intelligently about um, not just pulling the trigger to pull the trigger. Sure. So uh, where, where, where do you find these deals? Does your, does your husband show you stuff? No. no. Nothing. It's a complete separation. Yeah. I mean... Pretty much. All my deals come into my email box and from people that I know, essentially. Yeah, and you're great about responding. I mean, I sent you a note, hey, want to be on the podcast? And boom, now we're doing the podcast. And now we're doing the podcast. I answer all my emails. So that's encouraging. You know, that's not the normal way that uh, startups get invested. They're like, no. oh, I want a warm introduction, find someone who knows me, and, yeah. and go through that. Jason Calacanis is like a huge proponent of that. Yeah. Listen, I get warm introductions as well. I don't want to be introduced until I look at something and make a decision. I find it insanely rude when someone just introduces me randomly with something that I have absolutely zero and then I have to figure out how to get out of it. Um, not that I can't, but it's just not, it's inappropriate. Um, I won't respond to LinkedIn. I mean, it's just not, it. it's like I'm pretty easy to find. You can email me directly. Um, but I feel that, you know, everyone has their time management skills. But, you know, as a founder, it's hard enough building a business and it's hard enough finding money. And, you know, you take the time and you find these people and you email them something. It's nice to get a response. Yeah, it, cer it certainly <laughs> is. Um, so you, you're early to angel investing. You were also very early to, like, blogging and podcasting. Was it like 2003 you started your blog? I mean, that was... Early days for blogs, right? Yes, very early days for blogs. Um, we had started, we had done a podcast in the, I guess, the late 
90s, early 2000s. Um, obviously, podcasting didn't take off then, but it was fun. Um, so, yeah, you know, blogging since 2003 um, and investing in women since 2007. So, early on in all those arenas. And so, what is like having this blog, this podcast, this like, you know, extension of your personal life to the public? What does that, what does that do for you? Um, yeah, I guess it is an extension of my personal life to the public. I mean, I enjoy blogging. I find it cathartic. Um, I think about things. I want to put them out there um, and um, curious what people have to say about them. Um, and truth is, is in terms of restaurants and travel and those things that I blog about, I mean, I reference those things too, um, be it a recipe. I mean, it's a diary. You know, you can go back and find this stuff. Um, so I think that that's worthwhile. I also... Um, did this thing for years called Women Entrepreneur of the Week, which was my um, post on Mondays, which was linked to the festival I did for seven years, um, that there are many women entrepreneurs out there. And it was just really becoming exhausting to write that piece every week. And so I decided it made more sense instead of, you know, having the conversation, then writing the piece and making sure the piece was right, just to have these podcasts and conversations. And I find them um, much more fun and engaging. And um, and I really enjoy the people that I um, talk to, which are across many verticals. But I find that most of them are sort of the every woman, they're not these people that you necessarily read about on the front page of the New York Times, but mm -hmm. could one day, or maybe never, you know, that will be very successful people. Yeah, uh, I completely agree with you. It's very fun and enlightening and inspiring to have these types of conversations. I have a hard time listening to them after they're done, um, but, but that's really cool. And um, so where did this whole woman's thesis come from? Like, how did you get into that? Well, at the very, you know, beginnings of the sort of, um, you know, startup nation and everyone investing in these uh, platforms that were tied to technology um, is um, I started hearing from women really through my blog. And I had a particular meeting with a young woman, um, Rachel Chong, who has um, a business called Catch a Fire. And she said to me, you know, we went out for breakfast and she's like, there's not one woman who is connected to me in my entire business or who I talk to or who I get advice for, you know, and she said, would you be my mentor? And I said, you know, I really hate that thing. Would you be my mentor? I'm not a shrink. You know, if you want a shrink, go pay a shrink, go pay a coach. I was like, but, you know, is there any money left in this round? Because I really do like what you're doing. So we've already closed this round. Now we're on to our second round. And they really hadn't launched their second round. I said, if there's still money in the first round, then I'm interested and I could get involved. I said, but I'm not getting involved unless I have skin in this game. And she came back to me and she's like, there is still money left in that round. Um, and I put money in and then I started getting involved. And then I started hearing from more and more women. And, you know, I... I realized that I was connecting with these women in ways that people, particularly obviously men on the other side of the table, weren't, and um, that I made this conscious decision that I were going to support these women's businesses because, A, I understood them, and, B, you know, I, I believed in what they were building. And so, you know, that was it. Right. So now, today, have you seen – has you, – you set out to solve this problem of women not having access to a lot of the things that, that men have. But have you seen that women founders possess qualities and skills that, you know, I don't think maybe men would have necessarily? Yeah, I mean, it was interesting. I was actually thinking about this this morning. Um, 
because my assistant will tell you when people say, well, what do you invest in? And I think I invest in very strong women. And I invest in kind of sur- quirky guys um, that in many ways have a lot of the ch- similar traits that women do. Um, you know, I saw, cause I saw someone come through my desk this morning who has, um, is on to a series B and one of the investors asked if they were going to do, um, this other particular product that he had already seen get invested in. And he emailed and said, you know, we're looking into it. And, you know, this other particular company has just gotten like tons of capital out of nowhere. And it's not that he's um, competing with them because he's in the same space, um, but that's not how he would behave. And I think there's very few companies in my portfolio that, you know, were your classic they raise the money, the next thing they know, they get the more money, then they get more money. Yeah. You know, it's been a slog, it's been about um, survival, and it's about figuring out, you know, how to build every single, you know, point and every new mountain you have to climb. Um, so I think that's the kind of entrepreneur I'm just drawn to. Yeah, so you're drawn to that kind of entrepreneur that's going to overcome obstacles and everything, but don't you wish you could also invest in the ones that just, like, have the rocket ships straight up? You know, I don't... Um, I mean, yes, that'd be nice too, but, um, you know, those rocket ships don't always um, end up on the moon. Sure. Yeah, that's, that's, that's right. <laughs> A lot of them end up, um, you know, falling back into the ocean. Sure. And, um, and I also want to build, um, be involved in companies that are being built that are funded that have longevity, you know, that they're not building a product with massive capital that's going to become this huge jello shot and everyone makes money when it's sold and there's really not anything of interest there that you know down the line those jobs will be lost and the product won't be go anywhere and I don't want to be in those kind of builds and I don't have to be in those kind of builds and so that doesn't interest me either yeah I I like that. Can you talk about a a meaningful investment? I mean, it doesn't have to be financial, but just you learned something, or maybe it was financial too? Um, You know, there's a handful of women that I invested in, you know, five, six, five years ago, I'd say six years ago. Maybe it's been something around the six or seven mark. Um, And it's been really empowering to watch them all grow in different directions. They're all still out there. You know, one just closed um, a huge round. Another one's going out for another round that's going to be closed. I mean, these are Series Bs. Um, another one, you know, restructured the entire organization, and she's really back to her and a couple people. But it could end up being a huge business like that because of what's happened in her industry. Another one was totally hosed by a disgusting VC who signed the term sheets and did not wire her the money, which was a million and a half dollars. Um, and, um, you know, she's been really hurting in regards to not having enough capital, but the product is taking off and what she's doing is unbelievable. And so, you know, all of them have different stories and I, even the ones that are losers have different stories. I don't think there's anything consistent or um, anything standard in this industry. Right. And 
I appreciate that. So let's get into. So someone emails you. They say, "I've got, a, I've got a cool business. Here it is." You look at it. You say, "Yeah, this is, this, this is kind of cool." Uh, have they raised money before you? Like, how does it, how does it usually work with the way that you get involved? Yeah, no, they have not raised money. If they have, I'm not really interested. Um, doesn't mean that my portfolio might change over the, you know, the years to come. I'd, I'd like to see more deep pocket investors sitting around the table at the earlier stages with me just because capital is so difficult difficult um but um yeah i mean early early stuff um i think because i'm known of such an early person that will answer emails back i have met plenty of people who have said to me later on you know i emailed you early on you couldn't have been nicer you gave me all this advice through email it was really helpful and now they're on their series b but they never came back to me Right. So you mentioned now that you you want the business to kind of speak to you. You'd be interested in it. You want a co-founder or founder that's going to break through walls. Is there anything else that you like stands out? Yeah, I don't want to invest in businesses that are competing against multiples of mature businesses or just multiples of business. I feel like everything that I've invested in might not feel that way now, but if you look back to when I made the entry, um, there was no one else really doing what they were doing. Sure. Have you ever passed on, on anything that, that took off? Sure. Yeah. Yeah, but I don't care. Right. I, I think you can't live your life like that. I mean, I made those decisions for certain reasons when I did, and I believe that, you know, I didn't wake up and have a bad day. I just wasn't right at the moment. Well, hopefully, I mean, you learn from it. Like, you make mistakes and you learn. Like, it's great to, it's great to fail every single day and just like, yeah. learn from it. Yeah, I mean, I think that, um, you know, I don't look at things that you slip through your fingers. I think that's a bad way to live your life. Yeah. <laughs> Hold on, yeah. I completely agree. <laughs> don't want to be looking in, like, the rearview mirror yeah. and have, like, oh, I regret that, I regret that. It's like, yeah, but look, look at all the things I am doing. And right. as long as you're putting one foot in front of the other every single day and just learning, learning from these mistakes. I mean, I think that's the most important part. My wife and I, every night, we talk about our biggest failure of the day so that, you know, you can have kind of that just idea of just feeling, feeling, yeah. feeling, feeling forward. Listen, failure's great. I think failure's feedback. I mean, um, I, I really believe that um, not to have failure is, um, doesn't teach you anything. Success is great, but it doesn't really teach you as much. Sure. So I guess we'll just end here with a little bit, little bit of the podcast and, mm-hmm. then, and then some advice stuff for people just starting their careers. But, you know, is the podcast kind of an extension of what you're interested in? I like to invest in these kind of companies. Then I like to talk with these kind of people on my podcast because I've listened to, you know, uh, Jessica from Squirrel, like the cool restaurant in L.A. and, you know, Ariel from Parachute Sheets. I assume you invested in that. I like, did. <laughs> those are like those are fun conversations to listen to. Yeah, they are. Yeah, I mean, some of them are people I've invested in. Some of them aren't. Um, you know, I have a handful of ones coming up that I'm going to be doing in New York. And they're everywhere from people in the food space to people in the fashion space. I mean, I'm all over the place. I'm just really interested in um, people's journeys and what they're doing now and how they got there. Because it is, um, as I said, everyone's got a different journey. You know, life doesn't come with a handbook. Right. And so I guess lastly here, the advice piece. The beginning of your career... A lot of people listening to this podcast are early in their careers. You had a bunch of different jobs. You know, how did, how would you, if you could look back now, how would you think about navigating that, like, you know, first five, ten year portion of it? You know, in many ways, I navigated my um, first ten years very similar to people that are now in their 20s. Um, I don't think that when I meet someone in their 30s and they've been at the same job or same company for 10 or 12 years, I wonder, 
about them. Um, I don't think this is the kind of people that I necessarily um, would hire or um, invest in. I mean, there's always different, right? It's not always standard, but um, I think your 20s is a time to find yourself. And the only way you can do it, I think when kids get out of college, they're extremely lost. I mean, there are some that know exactly what they want to do. But the, the, there is such a breadth of opportunities now that it's almost overwhelming to where do I start. And I think you need to think about an industry that you like. You know, if you like food, go into food. If you like, you know, medicine, go into medicine. I mean, there's so many different verticals that are open to you and that you just start. You know, start somewhere, take a job, and then, um, you know, figure out what you like and don't w like, and then figure out what the next job is, and then just keep climbing um, and keep learning. And eventually, uh, I think that sometime around your late 20s, early 30s, you'll figure out what rocks your boat. And it could be starting a new company. It could be, you know, uh, working in a particular company in a particular space that is of interest to you. Um, and um, I just think it takes time. Yeah, it's just really the idea that early on and later on even, no one has any idea what they're going for. There's no master plan. You just do every single day. You do. Yeah. And you should get up every morning and like what you do. I mean, I gave that advice to people that work for me in, you know, the early 90s. You can't, if you don't get up every morning and think, if you get up every morning and you think to yourself, God, I'm so not psyched to go into this job. You do that for two or three weeks, it's time to move on. You know, get out. Mm -hmm. It doesn't take long. I mean, you know, I mean, life is short, although life is long, because yeah. this generation of people live to be 100 years old. You know, if you can take off a couple of years and hang with your family and do with your kids, do it. You know, but don't be in jobs or in places that you're unhappy with. There's just no reason for it. Yeah, I mean, I like that. That's, that's a great way to end the podcast about happiness and finding your purpose and what drives you, but all about happiness. Yeah, it's all about happiness. Life's too short not to be happy. Yeah. Okay, well, Joanne, thanks so much for doing this. This was fun. Thanks for coming. Thank you for listening. We'll be back soon with another podcast. We're really pumping these things out now. I've got so many awesome guests lined up, so please stay with us.